The theme of this psalm is the end of the lying wicked, or the end of the non-saved, and the peace of the godly, or the peace of the Christian man or woman. And regarding the title that I just mentioned and the context, some of your translations or Bible publishers include a title to the psalm, which would read this. To the chief musician, a contemplation of David when Doeg the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. In context, this title refers to an event that was recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 6 through 23. In summary, the title identifies Doeg with the boastful, wicked man, or today we would say a non-Christian man, and compared to David with the righteous psalmist, or what we would call today in the New Covenant with the born-again Christian. More specifically, one author said this about the title, and I love this, and I quote, The heading for Psalm 52 gives the context of one of the most bitter experiences in the life of David. When Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. As a result of this report, at Saul's command, 85 of the priests of Nob, together with their wives, children, and other citizens of the town, were killed by Doeg. That's a serious massacre. Continuing, David had two responses to this tragic massacre that have been recorded for us. The first is in 1 Samuel 22, where the story is recorded. The second is our psalm. In the first of these responses, David recognized and confessed his own unwitting responsibility for the massacre. In the second, he documented the primary and deliberate wickedness of Doag, who is the evil, mighty man, here in verse 1 of this psalm. End of quote. And in application, again, teaching God's word, explaining God's word, it's so important, church, that we apply God's word. Though the word of God never changes, our, our, our current events and circumstances do change. And the circumstances that we see going on in today's world does not change God's word. But God's word does change them. Now that we've reviewed the title and the context, please understand this. The psalm is not specifically written to them then. In fact, it's not just a history book. In fact, it is written to us today, to us now. Take note that I'm not making something out of the scriptures that is not here, but I will be going in a direction that I normally don't go through in a sermon, applying this to the 21st century modern air, especially when it comes to the media and social media. So I find it unusually applicable to us today, to the media that is lying to us today, and social media platforms. And some of you can care less about social media. It's probably a wise attitude, but it is a big part of our lives. We can use it for his glory, and we can use it for sharing the gospel, we can also use it to keep up on current events of what's going on. But we're going to give an explanation and application of this psalm, though the word of God never changes, but we will be applying it to today's current events. Though it's been a problem for a couple decades now, 
uh, the mainstream media, also known as the lamestream media, has rapidly increased their hypocrisy and their lies while simultaneously covering up the truth. I've never seen it so bad where the lies have increased so rapidly, but at the same time, they are doing their best to silence the truth. And again, we don't want to be discouraged because Romans 1 said that the reprobates and the non-Christians, which also would mean most in the media, many of these social media giants, that they suppress the truth in their own unrighteousness. And that's why they're suppressing the truth. Because they are trying to cover up and hide their own righteousness. Because the truth offends them. Whether it be MSNBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, also known as the Communist News Network, or others alike, their hypocrisy and lies coupled with the deflection from the truth has rapidly increased. And being objective here, I have to be objective, Fox News is not far behind. Some of you are probably saying, Mr. Bill, Fox News is already there. Today, social media giants, such as Facebook, again, this word of God does not talk about this, but we can apply it to us. Social media giants, such as Facebook and Twitter and Google, are increasing their lies and increasingly are squashing the truth. Facebook has an artificial intelligence, facial recognition. And the the artificial intelligence is called fact checkers that frequently flags the truth, calling the truth, quote-unquote, false information, as they throw up smoke screens and distraction devices. Telling the lie in the name of truth and covering up your truths and calling it a lie. This is the part of the world that we're in, ladies and gentlemen. But we don't want to give up. Even this week, a new conservative social media platform called Parler, which I subscribed to two months ago, had its services terminated by its service provider that allowed to host their social media platform upon their Platform on their server, and now they're having to find a new provider to allow them to have a place to have their business. And please know, I am not complaining, I am not grumbling. I actually expect these things, as I've said many times throughout these Psalms, we should rejoice in them, because the Word of God says these things will happen in this wicked world, that we are blessed to be in today and truly blessed to be saved, bond slaves to Christ in today. Nonetheless, the scriptures promise that we will have the final laugh. You know, it's been said, I, 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 I say it to many of you, I'm not laughing at you, I'm laughing with you. But there is a time when we are actually supposed to laugh at them. And this scripture actually teaches this, and we're going to talk about that as well. Let us never forget that that the orthodox social media platform that God created for us to use is the open-air platform. That's the oxygen that we breathe. It's anywhere outside this sanctuary where people are alive and where they breathe oxygen. That's our open-air platform. That is our social media platform where this church must be doing its business, sharing the glorious gospel. It's the same outdoors 
that the lying liberal media brainwashed many professing Christians into staying home, not going to church, rather than obey God's great commission, go to church, and evangelize the lost. So as we go through these nine verses, it's going to be a short sermon today, let us understand how something written thousands of years ago is so perfectly applicable to us in 2021. And let us be herald examiners, investigators, examining the scriptures so that we can prepare to go out and be heralds with the gospel in the street. Whether it be preaching or talking or just handing them a gospel tract. And the division of the study is as follows. Verses 1 through 4 is the lying, truth-suppressing, wicked character is defined. Or the non-saved people is defined. Verses 5 through 7 is their doom and our laugh. Verses 8 through 9 is the psalmist's or the Christian's contrasting character is seen. The difference between the world and us is seen in that passage. Beginning with verse 1. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. The tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Say law. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. In verse 1a, David said, Why boasteth thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? Though I do not endorse the NIV, but the New International Version in this regard is actually more accurate than the King James translation. And in this regard, it's actually more consistent with the Septuagint. As you probably all know, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it was used by the early church. Not used today by most, but... A lot of scholars today, especially Greek scholars, will use the Septuagint often in their studies and teachings. So the NIV, if somebody here does have it, it reads this, which is actually more than more accurate. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Therefore, this sinful boasting is all day long and worse It's a sin against God and a disgrace in the eyes of our God. And I think of the media. It's a sin against God as they boast in themselves and they sin against God. And it happens all day long. It's a sin to boast in our own self-confidence or about our own accomplishments. This mighty man can be a soldier or a warrior, but know this, Christians, this mighty man is actually a bad man or a bad woman or a tyrant. It's also described in the Greek as a tyrant, this mighty man. Today we have a governor that's a tyrant. It's written in our Constitution that we believe as a church that the government has no authority to regulate this church. We do not submit in his unlawful order to wear a mask. We do not submit in his unlawful order to not meet here today in this sanctuary. 
We did not submit to his unlawful order to stay at home because our commander-in-chief says, go, stand, and speak, and obey the, the, the Great Commission. This, this church is a pro-church, a pro-choice church. Before our guests stand up and walk out, because I said that, we're talking about masks and vaccines. If you want to wear a mask, wear one. If you don't, wear one. If you want a vaccine, get one. If you don't want a vaccine, don't get one. But the governor has no right to tell us, especially Christ's bride, to put a mask on her muzzle. I have absolutely the same amount of respect for a Christian that wears a mask as for a Christian that does not. That's up to them. As my friend Martin Madrigal, who was going to come back and visit us again today with his large family, had said, let's turn it on them, Brother Bill. He said, my body, my choice. Brother Martin was here about six weeks ago, and unfortunately he got a bad case of COVID, and he was a Hispanic family that was outside with us, large family, bad case of COVID. Him and a couple family members were in ICU, and they're way beyond that incubation period where they're supposed to hide each other from everybody, so he said he will be returning soon with his family. But as he said, my body, my choice. Uh, he chooses to not wear a mask, and he actually chooses to not get a vaccine. But that's what we believe about our tyrant, tyrannical governor. We do not submit to him. And this mighty man here is the bad soldier, bad warrior, or a tyrant. Verse 2. The tongue deviceth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. The tongue here is an indicator of our character, either good or bad. Scriptures talk about the tongue, especially in the book of James. It's a big slab of mucous membrane. It's a, it's a wicked piece of our body. And Christians obviously have a new tongue, a new heart, a new mind. This tongue, in this scripture, in verse 2, is a divisive, deceitful tongue, just like most of the media. If I raised a meat cleaver over your head, you would either flinch, run, or move quickly. But if a barber, think about this, if a barber sat you down in his chair and lathered your face in his comfortable chair and placed a sharp, straight-edged straight razor right here on your neck, you would not flinch. You would allow him to do so. Because you trust in him to do exactly what he's supposed to do. But church, breaking news to you. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Metaphorically speaking, he uses others just like the media to comfort you and lather you with sharp razors. And you may not even know it. Today, the lying left or the media, and I'm not saying that conservatives don't lie. Conservatives lie too. But today the lying left, especially, it's increasing over there, suppressing the truth while they're lying, have been hard at work plotting destruction and deceiving many with their false narratives, promoting uh, their, their own agenda through their powerful media outlets. The deceiver's sharp razor is not here to trim your beard nor your hair. Instead, metaphorically, they will cut your carotid artery so that you might bleed to death in the comfort of your own chair. As a church, let us not be deceived by these deceptive words of this wicked man, or a wicked media, or the wicked world. And why do they do this? 
Here's the answer. Generally speaking, we should expect this from the world. We should not be surprised. We should never be dismayed or discouraged. It actually should excite us. I know that sounds odd, but in faith we can actually rejoice in these things. Although we can also be very sad. My wife recently shared how she cried over a current event in the news. But at the same time, there's a time to mourn, but there's also a time to laugh and a time to rejoice. And we're going to go over scripture that tells us that we actually can laugh at them one day in the end. But that was generally speaking, but specifically speaking, the answer why is in the next two verses. Why are they like this? Verse 3, because thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than to speak righteousness, say law. They love evil more than good and they love lying more than telling the truth. That's the answer. And then in verse 4, more answers right here. It says that they, thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. They love their devouring words. They love it. And they love their deceitful tongue. You may have dropped something on your big toe or your little toe and, and said a dirty word. It's possible to do that as a Christian because we're all sinners. But these people love their bad words. They love their devouring words. They love their deceitful, nasty, murderous thoughts and their tongue. They and their tongues love to devour by confusion as they throw up smoke screens and distraction devices. Oh boy, and the media throws up smoke screens and distraction devices. The scripture says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And so we must know that confusion comes from Satan himself and his demons and his allies. For decades, I referred to the media as the devil's advocate. This sermon is not a history lesson. It is a living sermon of God's living, powerful world word. And so we must apply this living chapter to our word of God, to our lives today. Don't be fooled, church. The intent of their tongues, it's not a mistake. It is to deceive us and to trick us. Next, verses 5 through 7, is their doom and our laugh. Their doom and our laugh. Verse 5. God shall likewise destroy thee forever, and shall take thee away, and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place, and root thee out of the land of the living. Selah. Again, there's that pause in the musical stanza. Selah. This is another reason to not be dismayed or discouraged. One day they will endure God's wrath and God's judgment. We should rejoice in that. And could we have their blood on their hands? Yes, if you've never shared the gospel with the lost world. Their blood is on your hands. Verse 5 says, God will destroy them or bring them down forever. He will take them and snatch them away. He will pluck or uproot them out of the land. But the good news, if you're his, if you're saved, born again, nobody can pluck you out of the Father's hand. But God will pluck them and unroot them out of the land. That's because God cannot tolerate nor coexist with evil, with sin, or unrepented sinners. 
He cannot and will not. That's why his standard to go to heaven is a standard of perfection. That he requires righteousness and holiness to be able to be entered into the kingdom of God. And that we've said that many times at this church. And the problem is none of us are righteous. We've all sinned and fallen short to the glory of God. There is nobody righteous. No, not even one. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need Christ. That Christ came to us, the God-man, born of the virgin birth. Excuse me, conceived of the virgin birth, Jesus Christ. Then conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the virgin birth, the virgin mother. Jesus, who led the perfect sinless life for 33 years later, though he's fully God and fully man, he's the only man that ever truly kept all of the law, that obeyed all the law perfectly so that we that have broken all of the law could be saved and forgiven. And then he went to that cross where he died of a wicked, brutal death where God the Father punished Jesus because of the sins of his church, God's elect where Jesus bore God's wrath, and Jesus took our sins, and now we get Jesus' righteousness because Jesus Christ declares God's elect, the lost sinner that got saved, he declares them righteous before the Father. That's a beautiful story of the gospel, the good news. And then he would be buried into the grave for three days, and then on the third day he would bodily raise from the grave, and that's when he forever defeated death and conquered sin for his church. That's a beautiful story. It's not all negative. That's the good news. And because of God's judgment and their demise, and by the way, anybody that would truly believe in that gospel message, repent and believe in that, the Bible says we'll be saved. And because of God's judgment and their demise, the wicked's demise, we Christians can have an assurance that righteousness will prevail, and in the end, God will sort it out. We don't know what's going to happen over the next four years in this nation. But in the end, God will sort it out. One author said this, I love this, about this passage. The verbs bring down, snatch up, tear down, uproot, suggest different word pictures. The wicked will be brought down, demolished like a structure, Judges 8, 9. They will be snatched up like a coal out of a fire, Isaiah 30, 14 which is useless when cold. They will be cast away, a castaway vagabond, homeless and without family, Proverbs 2.22. Moreover, they will be like an uprooted tree, Jeremiah 11.19. In the end, they will be no more, as they will be forcibly excised from the land of the living, Psalm 27.13. With their death, evil thoughts, speech, and acts will cease. Forever, end of quote. It will stop one day when God declares it to stop. And the laugh will be on them and not us. We could biblically actually laugh at them. God sits in the heaven and laughs, the scripture says. In verse 6 it says, The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. The Christians will laugh at the wicked man and the non-saved, the unregenerate, people that are wicked. Our Our reaction to God's judgment is first characterized by awe and terror. When we see God's judgment and know that God's judgment is coming, 
We should have a reverential respect and awe and terror and fear of God that that is going to happen to those people. But at the same time, we should realize that his judgment is our encouragement. Church, that God's judgment should be our encouragement. Be encouraged with that. Because God is not mocked. Thou shall reap what they sow. If they sow to the flesh and the things of their sin, they will reap corruption. But if they sow to the things of the Holy Spirit, they will reap everlasting life. Thus saith the Lord. It is then that our fear changes into joy, Christians. That our fear, frustration, discouragement, disappointment will actually be changed into joy. Because God, last week we talked, the joy was mentioned in Psalm 50 three times. Because God's righteousness triumphs over evil. We can have joy in that. One author said this, The joy of the righteousness is not malicious. And some of you might be thinking, Well, what do you mean? Having joy that they're going to be judged? Laughing at them? I mean, isn't that wrong? No. Here's, here's, a, good, here's a good theological position on this. The joy of the righteous is not malicious and vindictive. Job 31.29, Proverbs 24.17 in seeing the evidence of God's righteousness, they receive personal assurance that God judges between good and evil. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5-10, close quote. The godly tongue is a triumphant tongue. The laugh of the godly tongue is not vindictive nor malicious. But it is a joyful response to the intervention and divine justice of God. That if our motive and intent of joy in their punishment or laughing at the wicked if it's right it is according to the word of God a joyful response in the intervention of God's divine justice the joyful laugh is also proof that apart from God there is no stronghold why will the lawful the righteous or the Christians why will we laugh at them the next verse is the answer why Verse 7. Though this is the man that made not God his strength. The wicked, the non-saved, is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Charles Spurgeon said this of the wicked man, which would apply to the non-Christian today. The substance he had gathered and the mischiefs he had wrought were his boast in glory. Wealth and wickedness are dreadful companions. When combined, they make a monster. When the devil is master of money bags, he is a devil indeed. Beelzebub and Mammon together heat the furnace seven times hotter for the child of God. But in the end, they shall work out their own destruction. Whenever we see uh, today a man great in sin and substance, we shall do well to anticipate his end. And view this verse as the divine memoriam. That's encouraging, folks. Whenever we today see a man great in his sin and substance, these wicked people that are lying, covering up the truth, we shall see, well, anticipate his end. And view this verse as the divine memoriam. Excuse me, I got that word wrong the first time. Memoriam. But know this, this wicked man here, and also non-Christians, is not just liberals or Democrats or the media. It can also be conservatives 
or Republicans. We have to be objective as Christians. Christ did not die for the Republicans. He died for sinners. He died for people that realized they were sinned and they were going to be judged for their sin and they needed to be saved from their sins. And they repented and believed in the gospel. That's whom Christ died for, God's elect. Hell will be bipartisan. Hell will be well occupied, I believe, mostly with Democrats. I do believe that. But it will also be well occupied with Republicans, Libertarians, Constitutionalists, the Green Party, the Peace and Freedom Party, and Independents. Those whom did not make God their refuge, those whom spoke lies and covered up the truth while doing so, those who were hypocrites, those whom relied on their political power, they will one day receive their doom day in eternal doomsday. That's encouraging, Christians. This world is going to hell in a handbasket. But we can be encouraged when God's word says this to us. Again, applying application of this scripture to us today is very encouraging. And again, this is the man, this wicked man is the man who did not make God his strength. Verses 8 through 9 is the psalmist's or the Christian's contrasting character is now seen. This is the Christian. Verse 8. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. The olive tree is reminiscent of the tree in Psalm 1. Olive trees can live much longer than ourselves, actually hundreds of years. The mighty man trusts in himself, his prestige or power. But in the end, the Lord uproots him like a tree and destroys him. In contrast to the mighty man in verse 1 is David, or the godly man. He is likened to a tree flourishing within the house of the Lord. This tree here represents true security in contrast to the uprooted tree in verse 5. The wicked will boast in themselves their own abilities or political power or gain, but God's people will boast in God and boast in Christ. It says in verse 9, I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name, for it is good before the saints. Those whom God loves, they will respond in repentance and faith. If you've responded in repentance and faith, which you have if you're saved, that's because God first loved you, and now you love him, and you show him your love by repentance, faith, and obedience. In contrast to Doeg, whom would not make God his refuge, David here is determined that he will trust in the mercy of the Lord forever and ever. Something else that he will do forever is he will thank the Lord for what he has done, namely for punishing the wicked. For punishing the wicked and vindicating the righteous. Yesterday, uh, Lori and I had met a couple members of this church for a while, and we, did, we discussed imprecatory prayers. Uh, that imprecatory prayers are biblical. They're in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Where you pray that the, pun- the wicked would be punished. It's actually biblical. It's a controversial doctrine. So there are some Reformed Baptist bath- uh, pastors that do not believe in it, but it is true. 
especially in Revelation 4, where the martyrs, those who've already died, are under the throne room, the altar in the throne room of God. They've been killed for Christ's name's sake. You can't be any more Christian than that. It's already in heaven that's been killed for being a Christian. They've got a pretty good testimony, don't they? I can't say that about myself. And they're crying out to the Lord, Lord, how much longer before you vengeance, seek vengeance against those who have killed us? All of the babies that have been slaughtered in the womb. How much longer, Lord, before you venge them? It's biblical. And I think that maybe perhaps we ought to do imprecatory prayers more often on Thursday nights. And I think that's a good thing to do. But our intent should always be, same thing with church discipline, when a Christian is removed from membership or actually excommunicated from the congregation, the sole purpose and intent of that discipline is to bring them back to God, that they would be restored to God. And though the unsaved and the reprobates not being brought to God by an imprecatory prayer, but if God, our our intent in that prayer should be, Lord, if it's your will, save him or save her. But if not, we pray for their salvation. But if not, then Lord, break thy enemy's arms. And I believe that's even important to pray over politicians that are transgressing God's law. Politicians that are sinning against our Lord. Lord, break their arms or remove them from office by any means necessary, if it's your will. But Lord, we also ask that you would save them and grant them the same mercy that this wretched sinner received from you, Lord. Finally, he will magnify the name of the Lord in the presence of his loyal saints, because his name is good and that all he is is good. All that God does and says is good. Father, thank you for your word, inerrant, inerrant, sufficient, infallible, perfect. Thank you, Lord, for giving us such ancient text. Though it was written then, it is so applicable to us now. Help us learn to apply your word and demonstrate it in our lives throughout all of these times, these difficult things that we're going through today. Lord, you know our troubles, you know our worries, you know our passions, you know our concerns, you know our sins. We pray that you would help us, sanctify us, grow us in faith and strength and holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.